got a real good feeling. You're listening to the Coffee and Crypto Podcast with Crypto Jeb, bringing you the best and most updated news about cryptocurrency. Tune in every morning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern to watch this podcast live on our YouTube channel. Hey guys, and welcome back. I am joined by none other than Charles Hoskinson, the founder of IOHK and the Cardano Project. Charles, it's a pleasure to meet you, my friend. How are you doing? It's great to be on Crypto Jeb. I'm doing great. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Well, hey, I got a question for you right out the gate about the community. Did you ever think that the ADA gang would get as large as it has? Well, of course, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're just a great community. You know, there's a lot of wonderful people and ultimately we erred on the side of freedom. You know, we've been wanting for a long time to, to build an ecosystem that's truly decentralized, truly resilient and has foundational principles and actually has a reason to exist. You know, we're, we're going around trying to build a new financial operating system for the world, especially for those who don't have one. We're talking about economic identity. We took the time to go out to Africa. We took the time to go out to Southeast Asia, to go to South America, to go all around the world. And we built a product with principles that are, are pretty enduring. You know, this concept of peer review, this concept of formal methods, they're not just buzzwords. They actually require years of hard work. And we keep publishing papers. We keep writing code. We keep pushing hard. And now we've got to a point where uh, there's 230 different projects building on Cardano. There's a very vibrant ecosystem, about 3 million installed wallets. Uh, people vote all the time with Catalyst, and we keep seeing momentum progress there. So it's all starting to come together, but it's still early days. You know, we're, we got so much more to do. Uh, and it's, it's just getting real excited because the party's just getting started. I think that's amazing. Well, that's actually one of the things I really admire about Cardano is that, I, and I've said this for a long time, is that the project that you've built and that your team has built has put the product first. And, you know, people have said, oh, well, Cardano takes time to develop things or, oh, this, you know, they say like, oh, well, this is taking longer than someone else. But the thing is, Cardano has always had a mentality of let's do it right the first time so that we don't have to go back and fix our mistakes. You guys have always put the technology and the well, product first, right? Well, I'll tell you one thing that's real fast. Uh, look at the $10.5 billion in half that happened last year. Those happen pretty fast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so speed, speed definitely has a, a has an impact on quality. You know, the problem is there's perverse financial incentives in the industry. Uh, so people are incentivized to be first to market, not best. And people are incentivized to build things without really thinking through about what happens when that thing breaks because they don't suffer the financial consequences. The retail investors do, uh, the users do. And sometimes these consequences are in the tens, hundreds of millions, even in billions of dollars. And I just, it feels like a moral hazard. And normally you solve that with insurance or regulation, you solve that with standards, but we're not quite there yet as an industry. So it's a bit of a gold rush and that gold rush compels people to do things the wrong way. So one of the raison d'etres of, of Cardano has always been saying, well, Let's have a philosophy behind how things ought to be done. It doesn't mean everything's perfect and it doesn't mean everything that we construct is always going to be done right. But what it does mean is that on average, we get it right. And just like the aerospace industry, just like the rocket industry, you know, just like medical software, on average, you get it right because the consequences of getting it wrong, people die, billions mm -hmm. of dollars are lost, these types of things. And nobody wants to be on the beach picking up rocket parts. Uh, nobody wants to be dealing with an FAA investigation after a plane's crashed and 300 people have died. These are horrible events and they're soul destroying and they're usually once in a career and you just don't want to be on the receiving side of that. But we have to have that same mentality when we talk about an operating system that one day could control your vote, an operating system that controls your identity. 
you know, you think about a credit score. What if somebody could hack the credit scoring system and change your credit score from 800 to 400? You know, what if they could do something like that? It'd be catastrophic. You'd never get a loan. You'd never get a credit card, these types of things. But that's literally where we're at. And, and so I think it's it's wrong to have that mentality. On the other hand, we're actually one of the fastest moving projects in the industry. When you when you take a look at it, we're number one for GitHub commits. Uh, we release software all the time. We've done major updates at a scale of millions of people very quickly and seamlessly. You know, we're able to do multiple hard forks per year. Uh, so we get accused of being slow, but when you actually you look at the productivity in terms of writing a paper, deploying software, being able to bring things, it's pretty amazing. Ethereum had three years to build out a development ecosystem. We launched smart contracts in September. We're already in June going to have our first massive major update of that entire development experience based upon things we learned. There's already a DeFi alliance. I think there's 15 members of it. There, and as I mentioned, 230 dApps. Uh, it took a long time for Ethereum to get that kind of momentum, certainly not in the first year. And we're already there and it's already growing despite the fact that we're following a, a very rigorous model to do these things. And I think that's amazing. And to clarify, I, what, the reason I say that is because I want people on our channel to hear that from you because people make that accusation against Cardano. And I think it's baseless because, you know, uh, Elon Musk of SpaceX has talked about this. You know, you have to get 100,000 systems and components working flawlessly because if something goes wrong and there's somebody on that ship, then their lives at stake. And like yeah. you said, the stakes are very, very high for what Cardano was building because what you are building and what IOHK and what the entire Cardano ecosystem is building has the has the ability to impact you know billions of people if this vision is fully realized and I think it will be so let me ask you this why do you what you look at this market very differently than I think a lot of people in the cryptocurrency space do. You can, I can tell that you really care about people. And I'm not saying other people don't, but I can tell that you really do mean it when you say, let's put a product that is extremely well made out there first, and then we'll worry about the rest. But let's make sure we're providing value in a way that's bulletproof. What makes you and the team different? Well, you, you know, principles matter. Uh, that's how I got signed up in this industry. I mean, there's no reason to be in the cryptocurrency space if principles don't matter, because everything we do can be done in the legacy systems. It just it, the systems there don't have principles. Yeah, we could just print money out of thin air. They're hyper decentralized. They can shut people out at any time. Everybody's a Twitter fan until they get deplatformed. Everybody's a Facebook fan until they get the fake news chiron on their post and then, then suddenly their account gets suspended. You know, these types of things. So you feel it when it impacts you, but but at that point it's too late if you're in a centralized system. So the, the starting point is principles. And when you look at things like cryptocurrencies, the, the, there are three that really matter. And if you don't achieve these three things, you've accomplished nothing. The foremost is decentralization. There's a lot of systems out there, they have high throughput, they do all these bells and whistles, but then when they stop working, some third party has to come in and kick it to turn it back on. I won't name names, but you know these things have happened. And it's because they don't give a shit about decentralization. They say, well, we'll add that on later on. Well, hang on a second here. If all the people that are building on your platform don't care about that, they'll stop you from decentralizing because that's going to increase their operating costs and reduce their performance. And all they care about is being first to market and cheapest. Okay, so decentralization is a big deal and you have to be committed at your core to it. And you have to build things that over time become more decentralized, not less. Second is inclusive accountability. So that's this idea that you can verify something yourself, not trust Charles or trust Bob or trust the Federal Reserve or trust the IRS. No, you can verify it. 
So what made Bitcoin special and what makes Ethereum and Cardano special is that when you send a transaction to somebody, if they have a full node, they can verify those tokens exist and they can verify they haven't been double spent. They don't need to trust the sender in any capacity. They don't need to trust a third party in any capacity. So we call that principle inclusive accountability. And when you start looking at life, you start realizing how many systems we have in life that don't have that property. For example, voting. You go out and vote. You have no idea if your vote was actually counted. You have no idea if your vote was counted correctly. You have no idea if you know fake people didn't vote. We just hope that the right people checked it and they verify that. If you have inclusive accountability, you can verify that your vote was counted correctly. You can verify that there's no fraud in the entire election system, just like you can verify there's never going to be more than 21 million Bitcoin. You don't trust anybody in that. So that's a humongously important property. And it's undervalued, I think, in the cryptocurrency space. And, and the goal to be first to market in the goal to reduce operating costs, people just say, trust Bob, trust Alice, trust these centralized actors. The preservation of it requires oftentimes complex protocols and complex cryptography. For example, we have a protocol called Mithril that is coming out to market and that preserves inclusive accountability for like clients. Whenever they see something, they don't have to trust some server. They can verify it themselves that that history is right. It took six years of protocol design to be able to come up with a method to do that in very sophisticated cryptography to be able to come up with a method to do that. We wrote 130 papers across our portfolio. So this was not a small undertaking to preserve this property. And if you don't care about it, you don't have to write those papers. You don't have to do all this protocol design, but you're not really accomplishing anything better than what the legacy market has brought. And the third thing is governance. So this is all about how do your systems evolve? Look at Bitcoin, it lacks this property. Uh, it, it is almost impossible to upgrade the Bitcoin protocol in a meaningful way. So they know about smart contracts, they know about all these sharding protocols, they know about how to improve performance, but to actually get people coordinated together and get it to a point where you can upgrade the system to have that capability is almost impossible. To extent that taproot and segregated witness and lightning and all these other things, they measure those deployments in years, not weeks or months. And the more people that come to play, the slower the system evolves, eventually to a point where it gets frozen in time. And we see this with all protocols right now, TCP IP, SMTP, all these things. We still don't have encrypted emails. We're still trying to get IPv6 out after 20 years of talking about it, these types of things. So you got to be careful that when you get mass adoption, that you don't lose your ability to upgrade and iterate and innovate because these protocols have to be useful. Otherwise, there's always going to be another cryptocurrency to displace the incumbent and all that stored value dissipates. So governance is super important because that is your ability to be able to upgrade the system without sacrificing decentralization or inclusive accountability. It's the capstone of it. And Cardano is one of the few projects in the ecosystem where we value all three of these things. We have the Catalyst program and we're trying to figure out how to build a stable governance uh, system. We have the hard fork combinator. We have all these other things that we've kind of constructed to allow the system to seamlessly upgrade. But then we also have Mithril and this whole agenda behind that to ensure that we preserve inclusive accountability and we also have Ouroboros, which gets more decentralized over time as the value increases and we roll out some more of these protocols. 
So that was super hard, but these are basic principles that exist. And, and I would argue that a cryptocurrency is not real unless it has principles. Otherwise, you can always just go to Amazon. You can always just go to Azure. You can always just go to Rackspace. And they're going to give you a better, faster, cheaper product and less pain and a better development experience than what the cryptocurrency space offers. If you're really philosophically serious, you have to be willing to bite the bullet and innovate and do new things. And you need to involve the academic process because the protocol complexity is so high. You're not talking about, hey, we'll just think about it for a while. Hopefully it works. You're talking about like, massive amounts of thought that has to go into these things. And if you get even a small detail wrong, just like that rocket, it blows up because you're only as strong as your weakest system. So everything can be built perfectly. But if that O-ring isn't quite right, you have the challenger disaster, you know, and it's the same with these cryptocurrencies. Everything can be built correctly, but then you have the reentrancy bug and then suddenly you have the Dow hack. Everything is built correctly, and then suddenly ThorChain gets hacked or something else gets hacked because you have too big of an attack surface. As you gain users, you gain an attack surface. Everybody can see the code. Everybody can see the system. You have to really think carefully about how to design these things in a way that they last a long time, and they're also capable of being resilient against uh, adversaries across the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that makes Cardano very special is the decentralization and the governance and the inclusive accountability. And, you know, you've talked about on, you know, you've talked about at length about how one of the issues that, you know, pivoting a little bit into how Cardano can help us with our society at large, which I think is a big part of what Cardano is attempting to do, you know, especially in Africa. One of the things that I think, and I think you would agree with me on this, that we lack with our governance systems as far as actual federal and local governance governments is that concept of inclusive accountability. You've talked about before about how it's an existential threat that both sides of the aisles don't trust the, the current democratic system. That's a very, right. very big, dangerous thing to a free to a free uh, to a free country that has got to be solved. So let me ask you this in the area of GovTech, how can this inclusive accountability idea actually help to bring about um, how can this inclusive accountability idea get into our governments? And even more importantly than that, how do we get governments to actually adopt systems of blockchain that maybe Cardano would be able to help with where they would be transparent with things so that the public could hold governments accountable to what they say they're doing? Yeah, you start small and local. People make the mistake of starting too big. So either you find somebody who's in the market for a new system already. And then you just try to get on board with that. Or if you, somebody are changing, then you say, well, let's not change everything. Let's just change one thing. It could be a county clerk that wants to start doing marriage certificates on a blockchain. Uh, it can be maybe we do the Republican Democrat primaries for this state or this county with a blockchain based voting system. It could be maybe we get the state government to start doing data disclosures or financial disclosures with a blockchain accounting system. So you start in those domains and you start building up that corpus of infrastructure. And then little by little, more and more of that stuff basically gets into this ecosystem. And then you create a community expectation of it. So people start asking, well, why can't I vote online? They start asking, why can't I check and verify the thing you're telling me is actually true? Why can't those credentials be online? Why can't that happen? And so once they have that ability, then that expectation's there and they start voting in that particular way. They start demanding in that particular way. And then it snowballs and it happens very, very quickly. So I, I think that's the best way of approaching it. We've certainly seen that incrementalism be very effective in the state of Wyoming. 26 laws have been passed. Now they recognize DAOs 
They have full reserve banks. Back when I was part of the Ron Paul movement in 07, the idea of a full reserve bank was a you know an Austrian economic libertarian utopia thing. You're like, oh, there's no way. We got them now. Avanti Bank, Kraken, all these other guys getting their charter. I mean, Circle might move in that direction because of stablecoin issuance. Speedy banks are a thing. And that was a pipe dream three years ago, four years ago. And that model, if successful, will propagate to other states and then start becoming a, a valid status quo. And as consumers, you also have to vote with your dollars and your time and your preferences. You have to really ask yourself, why are you here? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you here for the philosophy? Are you here to get rich quick? Are you here for whatever? See, at Cardano, we have this saying, a lot of people have come for the money, but they stayed for the principles. They said, hey, you know, Cardano is just a cryptocurrency. I'll go play around with it. And they started listening and thinking and saying like, wait, hang on a second here. Why does money matter when the definition of money is up for grabs? Like, what is good money? We're actually witnessing society ask that question because of monetary policy. Recently, uh, the U.S. national debt crossed $30 trillion. You know, recently, uh, the, the people are starting to archive that real inflation is 20%. I, I Just a small example, but it shows you how bad things are getting. I, uh, I bought a bunch of fuel tanks for my ranch, propane tanks, uh, you know, last year. And I, and I was burying them, but I, had, I hadn't had time to bury all of them. So the company that sold them to me, I bought them for $25,000 each. They called me up and they said, hey, we'd like you still got those tanks. We'd like to buy some back from you. And this is just five months later. And I say, how much? And they say, $35,000. <laughs> five months, you pay $25,000 for something and they want to buy it back at $35,000. That's the wholesale, not the retail. Forget crypto, just, we'll buy some fuel tanks on. <laughs> and they're telling me, and they're, and they, you got the U.S. government telling me inflation's only 6%. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, you know, it's a lie. And yeah, so no, it is. Yeah, institutional legitimacy is at an all-time low. Uh, so you restore it by teaching people principles, and then you start demonstrating those principles in action at scale, and then suddenly they start demanding that. That's why we're so focused in Africa, because there's such an appetite for new systems there. And we can deploy and build things at a scale of millions to tens of millions of people. And if those work, they're perfect case studies that you can then take home and say, hang on a second here. The guy in Kenya now has a better system than you guys do. <laughs> what the hell's going on here? And they say, yeah, maybe we should, maybe we should catch up. Because if they don't, what ends up happening is Kenya actually starts growing their GDP at 20%, 30%. And over a period of time, they'll actually become wealthier than the Western world. And at least we have one safe harbor then. Uh, and it's the, it's the moral thing to do. So, you know, if you want to change America, if you want to change your backyard, sometimes you have to go abroad. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes you can just start small and do things. And I think it's a combination of both. That's why we have the Wyoming strategy and that's why we have the Africa strategy. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just all about principles. You just ask simple questions. Do you want to be treated equally? Do you want freedom or not? Do you want fair consideration or not? Do you want a system that doesn't care who you are, whether you're Bill Gates or the farmer from Senegal, you're treated equally? in that respect. That's what we're after. That's the core of it. And you have to make sure that that's not just a statement, that that's captured by protocol design. And you have an expectation that over time, the protocols move in that direction instead of away from that direction. And the cash grab that we've seen lately in the cryptocurrency space with the third generations, a lot of those protocols have moved away from those principles because they want better, faster, and cheaper. And so it's the worst of both worlds, Web 2 and Web 3. And there's a guy named Mar Moxie Marlin spoke who wrote a lovely blog post where he, he elucidated this. He said, they're telling you Web 3, but they're giving you Web 2. 
And at any given time, three guys can get in a room and just basically deplatform you from this mm-hmm. entire system. That's not decentralized. And what, what are you doing? You're getting the worst of both worlds there. So you have to, you have to really have principles. You have to start that way. You have to decide how big of a battle you want to win, you want to fight. And then you also have to decide how fast you want to innovate, where you want to do that. And each and every person has a place and a purpose, whether they're doing education or evangelism to the actual implementation, to using these types of systems. And you vote with your feet, you vote with your dollar, you vote with your philosophy. I think that's incredible. And, you know, that reminds me of something Elon Musk said recently, and I hate to take it back to Elon Musk, but this is a very true statement. He said federal governments are corporations with a monopoly on violence. And so it's really interesting to me where you talk about how inflation is ridiculous. The CPI is published by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Of course, the government doesn't want to say that inflation is as bad as it is because they get egg on their face. And like you were talking about. They don't want to see one of their competitors, if you will, go and run off with 20, 30 percent GDP growth year over year because then they're falling behind. That's why the United States is trying to compete with China. So let me read you a quote. Uh, in 1984, Frederick Hayek, a, a world famous economist for our viewers, said, I don't believe we shall ever have a good money again before we take the thing out of the hands of the government. That is, we can't take them violently out of the hands of the government. All we can do is by some sly roundabout way, introduce something that they can't stop. What are your thoughts on that comment that was made? 30 years before crypto yeah, was even pri- thought of. Private currencies. I actually had this discussion with Ron Paul of all people. Okay. Uh, you know, th- that movement for a long time has been talking about how do we introduce monetary competition? And uh, there's Gresham's law and all these other things about, well, if you have multiple currency in a system, what's going to survive? And then also the definition of money itself is starting to get up for grabs. There are systems where there are dual monetary systems. For example, Argentina, you have this peso, but then you also have the US dollar. And so what ends up happening is that people store value in the U.S. dollar because it tends to store value longer, and then they spend in the local currency. So that's a separation of the two. We might actually see that happen in El Salvador. Right now they have the Shivo system, so they have Shivo Bitcoin, and that's their store of value. People leave value in it. It tends to appreciate over time, but they're still transacting for all intents and purposes in the U.S. dollar, and they can seamlessly move between both standards. Interestingly, once you have a stable cryptocurrency, you can use it to algorithmically create a stable coin. Uh, so MakerDAO tries to do this. We created a paper called JED that we're deploying on Cardano through uh, Cody. They're, they're, we wrote the paper. It's kind of like Hyperloop getting back to Elon Musk, where you know he comes up with the idea and then some other people are commercializing. We're doing the exact same thing with Cody, but basically JED will be in market in a few months. And what JED basically does is it takes ADA, which is volatile, Uh, And it has deflationary monetary policy, so it should look like Bitcoin over the long term. And it can turn it into a good instrument for unit of account means of exchange. And you do your store value with ADA. So this is the cool part when you talk about the financial stem cell that is crypto. Not only does it give you the ability to do private money, but it also gives you the ability to start thinking about currencies that live in different verticals and they satisfy different demands, whether those demands are value appreciation or those demands are velocity of, of, of transactions, which is what the Keynesians are always attracting. But I, I think it's a renaissance and we're really seeing a global conversation right now of what is good money, what do we need to do? The other thing is that as we de-dollarize the world, usually what ends up happening is you go to a different standard, another empire. So we left the pound sterling, we went to the US dollar. China is trying to be the replacement for the US dollar. So they're trying to push that on everybody, but they're no better than us in terms of the Federal Reserve. So a lot of people are starting to say, well, why don't we use a cryptocurrency? 
why don't we use a immutable digital standard that's transnational and no central bank controls that has principles behind it? Because then everybody knows that they get fair consideration. It's kind of like gold. And no matter what you like, you know, gold is gold. For thousands of years, it's had properties that are very desirable for store value. The problem is that it, it's difficult to transport. It's difficult to divide. It's difficult in practice to use in commercial transactions. So with what we're doing with crypto, you get all the great properties of gold, but then you get divisibility, you get transportability, you get much more certainty on the audit and oversight side. You don't have to trust some repository that they're actually holding onto the gold or not. I mean, we tried when the Ron Paul movie to get Fort Knox audited and the Federal Reserve audited. Nobody would do it. Massive bipartisan support. Couldn't get it done. I wonder why. Uh, so, uh, so, so, you know, I think it's a renaissance. It's a utopia, but it has to come back down to consumer understanding. And people aren't going to have an appetite to try to understand how money works until their money stops working for them. Because then they start asking why. It's just like when Detroit went bankrupt. There's a massive surge of people in Michigan who started Googling, what is bankruptcy? You know, how does bankruptcy, what is municipal bankruptcy? These types of things. See, it's, it's now in their backyard. They now feel it. Well, similarly, with 20% inflation, with $30 trillion national debt, with the de-dollarization of the world, a lot of people are taking a step back saying, holy shit, I now have to worry about my money. I have to worry about these things. I mean, why would you in your right mind buy a 30-year treasury bill that pays 5% if there's a 20% annual inflation. You're literally losing 15% per year on that investment. We wonder why the real estate prices are going so high because everybody's choosing alternatives. They don't trust any of these debt instruments. The bond markets are the worst that they've ever been for this reason, unless they're paying junk bond yields because you can't even break even on these types of investments. So people feel that and they're starting to look for alternatives and they're reading Niall Ferguson's Ascent of Money. They're looking into crypto. They're asking fundamental questions. Where did all this stuff come from? And that's a perfect opportunity for us as an industry. Absolutely. And I think that's something that we've witnessed over the last two years since the beginning of the thing that shall not be named on YouTube because YouTube likes demonetizing us whenever we say that word. But March of 2020, there were a massive amount of things going on. We saw the oil market crash. You saw Saudi Arabia and Russia going back and forth. I saw gas prices at $1.49 a gallon in Florida. Now they're at three fifty. So a lot of people realized, hey, the money printer is going insane and that there are a lot of um, issues in our economy. And they started looking to other places. And then we saw a massive amount of influx into the cryptocurrency market. And right. I completely think I completely agree with you. The U.S. dollar has been the hegemon crypto, uh, the, head, the the global reserve currency for I want to say 101 years. It was 1918, I think, when they took over, when it took over the pound sterling. It's time that we're probably going to see a de-dollarization of the world, like you're talking about. And I think that will go into crypto. But can you kind of outline what that process is going to look like? Is it Bitcoin's going to take over world reserve currency status, or is the whole idea of world reserve currency status going to disappear, and we're going to have an entirely new paradigm? It's an interesting question. You know, I, I would love to see a product like Cardano have that, uh, that capability. And, you know, it, it, it's, not, it's not impossible for that to occur. Bitcoin certainly has a first mover advantage, but it also has a lot of things that don't make it very desirable. For example, the means of control of a proof of work cryptocurrency are very verticalized. And they tend towards centralization. So as the value of the instrument goes up, the energy consumption increases and the level of centralization increases because of economy of scale. All these Bitcoiner people, well, you know, they're using alternative energy or this is like freezing energy utilization. And it's like, okay, but let me ask you this. If, if you can do the same work with a different means, but use a thousand times less energy and have the same level of reliability and security, 
then why would you choose up front to spend that? And they say, well, that's what creates scarcity inside the system. I said, well, no, no, the scarcity comes from the monetary policy and the use of utility of the underlying asset. It, just because you have a high cost of production means nothing. For example, you know, if you produce paintings and one you have to paint by hand, the other you can do with the machine and they both look identical and the demand is the same for both, you're just spending a thousand times more effort to do one versus the other. You know, that's a philosophical debate. And you know, you're never gonna convince some of the maximalists to abandon that path. Now that said, nation states do seem to be looking at Bitcoin, like El Salvador was the first, and you know, the Bukele regime is, uh, is very hard set on continuing that experiment, regardless of what, what comes their way. And it seems to be creating a lot of stir where Turkey's talking about it, Brazil's talking about it, Argentina's talking about it. So you say, well, what is the actual practical path of de-dollarization? It's a heat death. Basically, more and more small nations start moving that direction and more things start being priced outside of the dollar. Like China and Russia, for example, just recently announced a deal, a natural gas deal, I think it was worth $100 billion. And they priced it in euros. They didn't price it in US dollar. So more of that is going to happen, especially as our national debt increases and more people are either going to flee to different monetary standards or they're going to flee to digital standards. And, you know, it's just going to come down to what the nation states feel they need. A lot of cases, they want to innovate at the same time. They want regulation on the wire. They want regulation in the transaction. They want functional regulation. They want automation. You need smart contracts to do this. You need identity standards like DIDs to do this. You need metadata standards to be able to accommodate this. And you also need the accommodation of systems that are very high throughput, hundreds of thousands to millions of TPS. Bitcoin cannot provide that right now. It's not built for that purpose. It could certainly evolve in that direction, but it's not going to do that. So what will end up happening is what happened in El Salvador with Chivo, where they put a centralized system on top of the decentralized protocol in order to actually in practice run a nation state level implementation. If you want that truly decentralized, you need a fundamentally different architecture. So that's why I argue it's not fit for purpose to actually de-dollarize. Um, and you know what you could do if you want to use it as a store of values, you can wrap Bitcoin and put it on a, one of these smart contract systems. Very common in Ethereum. It's becoming more common on Cardano. You see, so there's a lot to do there. So I think it's a gradual heat death to answer your question. And I think it's going to be small nations doing what El Salvador has done, which is very positive. And I, I think over time, it, it won't be like a light switch where suddenly we're off the dollar. It'll be more like a glider, you know, where it's gradually dimming and gradually dimming and gradually dimming with a few events sprinkled in that demonstrate that that geopolitical power that we've taken for granted for the last century is no longer there. It could be like China taking Taiwan or Russia taking Ukraine without recourse. Mm -hmm. You know, they say, well, we'll sanction you. Okay. And they do it and nothing happens and everybody gets up the day after, then suddenly our word and our projection of power is no longer uh, what it used to be. Just like the British Empire used to be like, hey, you know, do this or else. And then suddenly they lose India and suddenly they lose all these other things and nothing happens. And, you know, the sun still gets up and they say, oh, I guess those guys aren't as powerful as they used to be. And we're seeing in real time that uh, that same thing occur. The other thing is what moral authority do we stand on? Every institution in the United States is losing legitimacy. Five years ago, if you're at a bar sitting next to a person and, and they say, oh, I work for the CDC, you say, wow, how noble. These are the guys that fight Ebola. 
you know, these are the guys who you know, they wear the bio suits and they go into the pandemics and the worst things. Well, that's so cool that you're out there helping us. Now you see where the CDC, a lot of people are like, you are poisoning my children and lying to me on a day-to-day basis. So that institution's legitimacy is gone. Mm-hmm. Treasury Department's legitimacy is gone. Mm-hmm. The Department of Defense's legitimacy is gone. State Department's legitimacy is gone. You don't solve that problem by attacking the people that don't believe it and calling them deplorables. You solve that problem by embracing new systems to restore your legitimacy. Mm-hmm. It's like having an affair in your wife. You don't solve the problem by inviting women over the house and sleeping with them in front of you. You know, you say you're sorry and communicate and go to therapy and these types of things. Okay. But that's literally what they're doing. Yeah, you're doubling down on the very things that have destroyed yeah. legitimacy in the institutions to begin with. So how can you be a world leader if the people of the nation itself don't even respect the nation and its mm-hmm. institutions and the word of those institutions, they think it's lying. I literally, uh, I tweeted a few days ago, uh, a, a fight between a journalist and a member of the state department where the state department went out and said, Hey, Russia is doing all this stuff. And then the journalist said, okay, what's your evidence? And then the, the state department official said, well, I just told you. They said, yeah, yeah, you just told me, but where's the evidence? And they, it was like a who's on first for five minutes. They were going back and forth. And you're just like, well, don't you get it? You can't just say it. You no longer have any legitimacy. You actually now have to provide evidence for the things that you say. You're no longer in a position where we're just going to take your word for it because we keep being lied to on a regular basis again and again and again and again and again. So that's how the de-dollarization happens. It's a, yeah. it's a slow heat death because of the bad monetary policy, nations leaving, geopolitical pulls, uh, institutional delegitimizing, uh, and just the fact that there's now better alternatives that are not being embraced. And, you know, you, it's just like a newspaper that doesn't go online. You know, they died. Rock Mountain News is gone. Thousands of newspapers went out of business with the internet. Yeah, well, as someone with a background in astrophysics, I love the concept of the heat death of the dollar because that's what's happening. It's fizzling out. And so I want to, I'll leave that into my final question here. You know, you've made, you were the one that brought the whole America Competes Act issue to the to the table. You made a video on it a couple of weeks ago. And we won. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about that? And also, do you see things like, like the America Competes Act as kind of the death throes of the government trying to kick, it, kick and scream about like, hey, we're losing control here. We're going to try and double down because we know we're losing the monetary um, hammer that they've had. Well, first off, people that were uh, <laughs> that were born before World War II probably shouldn't be making policy on <laughs> on emerging technology. I, maybe that's just Agreed. something I don't know. You know, uh, but uh, you know, I guess the Treasury Department disagrees, and uh, you know, Shelby was the person responsible for the eighty-four-year-old senator from Alabama. Uh, was responsible for the infrastructure bill carrying that terribly damaging piece of legislation. Um, So America Competes is basically the latest attempt of the Biden administration to go spend a trillion dollars under the auspicious that somehow this will make us competitive with China. It's just a bunch of pork and buyoffs for a lot of their political hegemony. And a particular congressman, Himes, tried to sneak in something that he tried to sneak in last year to the National Defense Authorization Act, which basically gives the Treasury Secretary unprecedented power to unilaterally ban something without debate under the idea that it's necessary for national security. And Coin Center in particular was very concerned that this would be used to ban Bitcoin because Janet Yellen is not exactly the 
biggest super fan in the world of our industry. And, you know, they say, oh, don't worry, we won't do that. So well, why are you giving them the power to do that in the first place? So we made a big stink about it. And it looks like they've backed down a bit uh, and they're not going to include that. Uh, but it's just this latest of many things that the government is doing where they're trying to very silently scale up federal power to an extent where unelected bureaucrats have the ability to unilaterally destroy our industry in the United States. Now, it won't destroy cryptocurrencies. That cat's out of the bag. It's a global industry. There's trillions of dollars in it. It just means America is going to be left behind. Yeah. And, and that's just tragic because ultimately it's going to, when the dollar collapses, mean that we fall into a depression and the American people have no alternative other than to have another gigantic wealth transfer happen. You know, the biggest scandal of our lifetime was what happened the last two years where we witnessed a massive transfer of wealth from the poor to the rich. All this policy over the last two years, it bankrupted tens of thousands of small businesses and it made it harder and harder for some of the poorest and most vulnerable of the American people to live. Inflation does nothing to wealthy people. I'm okay. Cause I got a whole bunch of shit. Goldman Sachs will sell me. And a lot of other people sell me that basically hedges for inflation. And I do pretty good. All this real estate appreciation. I have things in my portfolio that have appreciated millions of dollars. Great for me. But what does it mean? It means that normal people, they can't buy a house. Normal people, they, they live that old World Economic Forum moniker that's so famous now, you'll own nothing and be happy. You know, and they're basically trying to convince you that it's okay to make it impossible for you to own anything. It's okay to make it impossible for you to save for retirement. It's okay that the richest people in the world's net wealth increased by a factor of two to three and you got poorer. And by the way, they're also building structures to have another wealth transfer. Pfizer made $54 billion last year off of this pandemic, just as an example. And then you're not even allowed to talk about the wisdom of a company pays nothing to make a product. They have no liability for deploying the product because they're immune to being sued. And then a mandate forces us to buy that product. And the government has the power to nationalize that through the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, they, they could go and say it's a, a it's a war powers. We, we, we're going to give it away for free, but they don't do it. We're just okay now with a $100 billion wealth transfer. Uh, and then you look at, well, the power structures that be, and you ask yourself, well, what's really going on under the hood? Like Joe Rogan starts talking about it. Nobody had any problem with him for 20 years. Nobody did any collages of Joe Rogan, the comedian, for 20 years. But suddenly when he talks about the $100 billion wealth transfer, he must be silenced and deplatformed. He's an evil human being. You see? So that's, that's the great lesson. Uh, you, know, when you take a step back and you ask yourself, why are things so fucked up? That what I've learned in my, my, my not so old age, and I think we're all starting to witness this, is that if something doesn't make sense, it's crazy. It means someone's making money. Hmm. If something does make sense and hmm. it seems to be working very efficiently, it, it means that no one can make any money yet from it. So it just might as well make it work well. You see, so that's that's the axiom we need to apply. And so all the crazy stuff, somebody under the hood is making a lot of American healthcare system, $2.5 trillion a year. And it's not working for a lot of people. A lot of people making money off of it.
American education system and tuition goes up 11% every single year. The quality of the product goes down. They tell you for year after year, you can't do online education. Then COVID hits two years of nothing but online education. That's totally fine, but still pay your tuition. Even though Coursera charges 60 bucks a month for the same product. You see, so something it's somebody's making money at the at the end of the rainbow. And what's great about crypto is it's showing the hypocrisy of the entire thing. The people who care the most or say they care the most about equity, equality, economic identity, the impoverished are promoting policies that destroy the poor. And then when you try to raise the poor up and get them out of it, they're trying to ban the very instruments that do that. So wherever you see that hypocrisy, don't be silent about it. Speak up about it and then force people to deplatform you. And if they start doing that at a scale of millions of people, those institutions lose legitimacy as well. No one trusts them anymore. And that means that they're dying. And that's our opportunity to make things better. Because once we build alternatives, those alternatives eventually will gain enough power to be able to undo all of this and we'll get our way out of it. But we only have a, a small window of time. Uh, and if we squander it uh, with with wedge issues and petty divisions or these types of things, then it's going to go to a new state. And China's the model there. Social yep. credit on down, hyper-centralization, algorithmic dystopian governance, you, you know, ca- concentration camps in Western China, this type of stuff. We believe that will never come to America. Well, I never believed in my lifetime that they would institutionalize the destruction of millions of businesses and force children to wear masks to a point that it causes speech impediments with no scientific basis behind it. But I guess we're doing that now. And you're not even allowed to talk about it or else you risk being demonetized, deplatformed. And that's today. It's not a hypothetical. It's today. We're not even allowed to ask the origins of a pandemic that killed 900,000 Americans. You're a conspiracy theorist. You even dare challenge the Chinese-backed narrative. (laughs) It's it's so crazy, man. Uh, So crypto is the way out. You know, and communication is the way out. And podcasts like this are the way out. People listening, they 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 are starting to understand how screwed they are, and that's why philosophy <laughs> matters so much. That's why principles mattered so much mm-hmm. because how we got here was an absence of principles. Mm-hmm. How we got here was an absence of philosophy. How we got here was allowing "don't be evil" to not to change to evil. It's and so you can't trust people. You have to build math-based systems that aren't "don't be evil." They have to be "can't be evil." by design. And then if those principles are embedded within them, then you have certainty that you're building a new society on bedrock, not quicksand. It's just that simple. I think everything that you just said proved that we need more leaders like yourself that care about people that are entrepreneurs and they're working in the cryptocurrency space who are building systems that are decentralized, that have inclusive accountability, and that understand how to run governance that is decentralized and that has inclusive accountability. Charles, out of respect for your time, we can wrap it out. But I want to give you a platform to say anything final about the Cardano ecosystem, about what you're doing, about Africa, anything at all. What do you want our audience to walk away from this uh, amazing interview with? Well, pick up a shuffle. We all got to do this together. You know, we got it started, but uh, it's decentralized now. Whether we get to where we need to go, we have to keep growing the community. We have to keep working. So go to cardano.org and there's plenty of different roles and responsibilities and just find that. And we'd love to have as many people as possible. We need help in governance. We need help in protocol design and engineering. We need help in spreading the platform and also the platform you can build stuff. You can build a voting system. You can build a DAP. You can build a DEX. You can build all kinds of stuff. And it's there. You know, it's live. It's working. Millions of people are there. So find your community. Find uh, find what you're passionate about. And love to have you pick up a shovel. Let's get this done together. I just want a world that's built with principles. That's it.
Amazing. That's amazing, Charles. Well, thank you so very much. I'd love to have you back on. Thank you very much, guys. Make sure to go to where he just said and uh, pick up a shovel, like he said. Guys, that's all we got. Peace. Hey, you made it to the end of the video. If you enjoyed this video, you should definitely consider subscribing because we're trying to help you become financially free in these cryptocurrency markets. And also consider following us on Twitter at CryptoJeb for more updates on the price of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Peace. I got a real good feeling. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Coffee and Crypto podcast. Tune in every day at 9.30 a.m. Eastern to watch live on YouTube. Follow us on our social media accounts at CryptoJeb. And lastly, we want to thank you for supporting us here at McAfee Media.